0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby.
1: And I'm Adam Bubb.
0: Thanks for joining us again. We absolutely love diving deep into the surprising backstories of Australia's most fascinating entrepreneurs.
1: There's always a surprising nugget of wisdom in each podcast, uh, whether it's how a mover and shaker has come up with a big idea, uh, what ideas didn't work, and how they've personally handled the ups and downs of success in business and life. Today's guest is
0: Sharon Williams. Sharon is one of Australia's most accomplished marketers. She has almost three decades of experience in the business and is an absolute powerhouse and pioneer in the marketing and PR industry. She's known as a leading expert in personal branding. She's a motivational speaker, media commentator, and a mentor to both CEOs and university graduates. Her agency, Taurus Marketing, has represented more than a thousand brands over four continents, and she's a sought-after business and brand builder and we are so delighted to have her on First Act today. Lovely to see you both. Thank you.
1: Sharon, we are thrilled to have you with us today. We always start with our First Act icebreaker on this podcast so listeners can get a sense of who you are and your icebreaker for today is, what is the one word you want banned from marketing?
2: Oh, gosh, I think the word marketing itself. (laughs) (laughs) Let's find a new word for marketing because it's just so naff and it, it i think people groan it's a bit like sort of hr it's it's just so much more exciting than the word marketing <laughs>
1: I mean, HR has had a bit of a rebrand over the past few years. It's very people, people and culture, happiness officer. Like, there's all kinds of names that come up now in the HR space. What other, what other, what would you propose is better than marketing?
2: I've thought of that so many times because with with the word marketing in my company name, Taurus Marketing, I've, I I always think it's so lame because we do such amazing things, and marketing sounds so generic. Um, I mean, business strategists, success makers, growth, meters, KPI, winners, um, bonus payers, marketing should be all of that. So I haven't come up with a word yet, Adam, but we should work on that one.
1: Mm, Success makers.
2: Yeah, I was quite liking success makers.
1: Yeah, I like that. You find a lot of those kind of roles. Also, customer service has kind of been reframed, especially in startup land, as customer success. And I'm seeing a lot of director of customer success, which used to be customer service, because service sounds a bit there's something about that that sounds a bit, oh, you know, that sounds a bit tired. So I like the positivity. Language can really make that difference, can't it?
2: It really can. And and the methodology that we created was all about the bullseye and hitting your bullseye, which doesn't have anything to do with marketing in in a way, in that in that that phraseology. So um Certainly, I think marketing exists to grease the wheels of allowing business to get where it wants to go and hit that bullseye.
1: Well, you've already hit the bullseye on where we were going with that, with the next part as we uh, kick off your first act. That no ball approach, that's a big part of your your, your brand and what you offer at Yad Taurus and obviously the bullseye is an embodiment of that. Where did that no ball approach come from? Was it something that you had with you from your childhood?
2: Yeah, I think it I think it's me. I think it's who I am. So when I was thinking of naming the company Taurus, it's the first word that popped into my head. And I am a Taurian, but I don't really follow star signs. And I looked it up and a Taurian is steadfast, tenacious, earthy, loyal stubborn <laughs> and, and that no bull kind of I, I remember looking at my, my husband at the time and saying tourists no bull and he went marketing load of bull <laughs> and he's an IT guy and I just thought that was really good really solid to be able to have a reflection of looking at oneself in a light-hearted way um, and also there's so much if you, if you think of marketing and PR there's so much bull There is so many words around um, the creation and activity that comes with that. How many people are actually really delivering on what that's supposed to do? So I liked the association with meeting a target, meeting a bullseye and, and in a noble manner. So calling a spade a spade. Let's take a little step back because
0: I can hear that English accent there and I'm sure our listeners can so... You um, grew up in in England. You went to an all-girls school. Can you tell me how you think that might have shaped your confidence and your abilities to achieve by attending an all-girls school?
2: Yes, yes, thank you. And I've got an interesting slant there because the school that I went to as a child was run by my great aunt and my grandma. Oh wow. They actually founded the school. So I, from a little girl, they lived Nana lived next door. She was Mrs. Williams at school. She was the deputy headmistress. And my great-aunt Marjorie Dore, we used to call her Auntie Marjorie Dore because of the nursery rhyme, was Miss Roberts, very strict, who was the headmistress. So I had Nana and Auntie outside of school and Miss Roberts and Mrs Williams in school and the teachers who were Mrs Joan Arnold, whose history was Auntie Joan, you know, in the school holidays. So my schooling was very, very influential in my life. All girls, yes, um, uh, was good and bad. Um, The fact that I was the niece of the headmistress wasn't always helpful the fact that it was a school that was a small private school that um, people went to who could afford it. My family, my single mother would not have been able to afford to send me there. I went there because it was a family school. So huge influence on my life for all sorts of reasons. Looking at female role models, uh, believing you could be anything. Why wouldn't you believe you could be anything? I was surrounded by teachers and pioneers in the 60s and 70s um, and and had a, had a working I mean, mum was a was a professional working mum. So I had a working mother as a as a role model too, which was also probably not that common at the time. That's right. She was actually head of personnel
0: oh, at yeah.
2: Nestlé um, factory in in London, and then Lion's Maid, um, and was going to work heading up five thousand a factory of five thousand people on less money than the men working alongside her. Um, and mum and dad divorced in 1969 when I was four or five, and there was no property act in in England. So when you divorce, the women the woman had nothing. Mm. Um, so yes, times have changed you know, considerably since then. But I, when I look back, I don't know how my mother did it. I do not know how my mother did it. Mind you, I look back on what I've done. I don't know how. <laughs> 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 but mum certainly had a harder road than I've had.
0: Mm. So then you had like a very strong network of powerful women around you at the time. What made you want to leave the UK, leave that behind and start afresh in, in Australia?
2: I left England because uh, I got married to my children's father, Guy, and we worked for the same company, an IT uh, company in, in London. I was marketing, he was uh, uh, very, very high up in the technical side. And we were hoping to be positioned down in Australia, in Sydney. It was my dream. And it fell through. So we'd already rented out our apartments and, and wanted to go. So we said, right, we're going to go anyway. And so we had a party in Russell Square, went to Harrods and bought a c- couple of rucksacks. And had a party and said goodbye issued our family with a map and said we'll see you in a year and we're going to go round India and round the world and come back and we've never got home <laughs> all these years later so we went all the way around India backpack second class aircon together as a young married couple no children very precious those experiences did it really well together then in India the company asked us to go to Hong Kong and set up the Hong Kong office and we sort of thought well oh, that's not that wasn't in the plan okay we'll go for 6 months and try it and we ended up being there for 2 years and i know instead of arriving with the rucksacks we we then transferred down to sydney finally and we ended up shipping about 35 boxes of beautiful chinese you know China and, <laughs> and all the stuff that you accumulate when you set up home and land somewhere with two rucksacks and leave two years later. Um, and I had a fabulous two years in Hong Kong setting up all the distributors for this company sign-on. Um, and working alongside my, my husband. And then we came to Sydney to the, to the dream that I've been dreaming of. I've been dreaming of coming to Sydney since I was a little girl or to Australia. All my all my kindergarten projects are kangaroos and, and, and uh, marsupials and drawing the outline of Sydney. And I've still got those books.
1: And they're clearly just bouncing all around the parks of the harbour and they're everywhere you see, right?
2: Like, yeah, that's like, right.
1: <laughs> Look, you know, I think there's, I, I love that kind of, that idea of adventure and the way that you have plans and visions for what you want your career to look like and the fact that it is sometimes those, well, in a lot of cases, it's those off-the-beaten-track moments that kind of lead you somewhere else, that is life's adventures.
2: Yes, and I've had a lot of those, Adam. I had i had lots of twists and turns from the age of about 18 to when I settled at Cyanon at about 23, 24, so I did lots of different things in that mm. In
1: that period, what would you say were the main sort of differences culturally from working in the UK and even working in Hong Kong as well to working, you know, in Australia?
2: The huge, huge cultural differences. So, having been brought up in London in a what I realise now is quite a fast pace, and loving London. I mean, it's my hometown, London. I, I know my way around London in a in a big way. Left when when I was in my mid twenties. Hong Kong faster furious, looks different, people look different, the language signs that the language looks different, um, sounds different and travel very similarly is, is easy from that hub from London and from Hong Kong all around. And then I remember coming down to Sydney and Guy and I arrived and ended up in the Pennant Hills in the country comfort at Pennant Hills. And I remember we went to the bank as you do because you've arrived in a new country and there was someone in front of me with no shoes on and a slip, in, you know, the, the, like a vest. And I remember just thinking, oh, my goodness, they've come into a bank with no shoes. <laughs> and, now, and now I'm so Australian, that story doesn't even resonate with me. But I remember thinking, oh, you know, how could they have come into a bank where in London you were dressed, you know, being a, you were, a bank was somewhere like when you went to the doctors, you, you, were, you had your Sunday best on. Um, and also I remember going to our... The manager that we were going to report into and I walked into his mansion in in Pennant Hills and as he greeted us at the door I was sent to the kitchen with his wife and then my husband and he went to the to the balcony so there was an immediate division between between us the girls and the guys which I thought was interesting. That
0: is interesting because that's not the case so much these days, still remnants of it. <laughs> was, was that also something you encountered in your career in those early days?
2: I, I've had a very lucky career in terms of I've always been around great people and been able to navigate those situations. So I've been very supported by men um, and women in my career. But predominantly back in the eighties, I was working mainly with men. And now in my company, although I, my company has, I work with women every day. Most of our clients are male, probably 80% of them are male. And I think it's a case of be the change you want to see. You almost don't have to talk about it, you just walk it. And if you walk it, people around you become it. So you weren't hampered by your gender in when you first
0: arrived in terms of opportunity?
2: Uh, that particular question, um, I, w- when I fell pregnant, my, my boss at the time immediately looked at me and said, well, you'll be leaving then. And this was in 1995, not 1980. Jeez. So he actually saw my career ending when I had my firstborn. Like, you think that kind of comment might have been
0: you know, 1950, 1960, 1970,
2: 1995. It was his loss and my gain because his competitor, who um, heard, heard about me, reached out and asked me to work with him. So I waddled in nine months pregnant and met Peter Kazakos of the Kaz Group and ended up contracting for him. He said, "He said, have the baby, you don't quite know what, you know, you're first born, have the baby and then come back and see me. So I pushed Charlotte in two weeks later and started contracting with him and, and that was when Taurus was born. So- yeah, that brings me nicely
0: to the question I was about to ask you, which was, you know, what was the plan and kind of what were you thinking starting a business <laughs> with a baby that's just
2: a few weeks old? Yes. Taurus was registered on the day she was born, August the 21st. I actually did it from the maternity ward with the laptop on my lap. Um, <laughs> and um, and I don't at that point think I was, I knew I was going to build something, but I was more short-term focused in supporting my husband to contribute to a family. So I, I like nice things. Um, Uh, I don't like wealthy things, but I like nice things. I like pretty things. And so if I wanted holidays and I wanted nice cars and I wanted a nice home, then I felt that I had absolutely joint responsibility to work and make that happen. And I'd seen my mother work around having children. And I was absolutely no doubt in my mind that I would be working and contributing to build a life in Australia. And then Taurus was registered and then Taurus grew and built and sometimes I think that I have to catch up with Sharon Williams and Taurus because it's it's happened and it's been amazing and wonderful but we're still in it we're still every day you you have to earn your right to be a business and you have to earn your right to be a leader and it's an ongoing journey and you never actually get there and the minute you've got there with one objective there's another thing that you have to have to battle through or you have to breach for.
1: How do you kind of find that sense of personal harmony with yourself? Because we do live in this culture where you are taught that you're always striving for something and you you haven't quite got there yet. When, like you were saying, Sharon, like you have actually achieved so many incredible things, but you don't really see it because you're already looking at what the next thing is. How do you achieve that sense of, oh, maybe I have, you know, that equilibrium maybe?
2: And do you have time to celebrate the successes? Yeah, what a great question. Um, I've been brought up to think that life's hard work and I've watched hard work. So hard work is a norm. Yes, taking time out to smell the roses hits you when I lost my sister at 32, lost my half brother six months later. I've had experiences with breast cancer. I think those things in life, those hiccups in life, make you stop and realise that you really do have to smell the roses and take time out, and I'm quite good at doing that. Like I get up, I try and get up early every morning and go for an ocean swim, Um, and that's my time for me, that hour. Um, I create lots of memorable moments with my children. We have a quarterly holiday away together. Um, We have roast dinners together. We... We do things together, so I I do think it's important for your listeners to to realise that they're not victims in this roller coaster of work, but they've got to take responsibility to have time out.
0: Mm. Now you briefly touched on it. You have faced some personal tragedy at a young age. You know the death of your brother, your sister. Like, how do
2: you think those losses um, impacted who you are today? I think our personal experiences impact and shape us tremendously. So when Lisa died, who was 32, she's my only sister and my my younger sister. I think the pledge was, Lisa, I won't waste a minute. I'll I'll live the life that you should have had. She was very, she was full of goodness, my sister. And so I've also pledged to try and remember her goodness. And so she's. She's guided me to live a life that I hope she would have wanted me to have. My little half-brother who died at 16 from bowel cancer, Lisa died on his birthday and he died six months later, he never got to experience healthy life beyond really the age of 14. So one has to, when one's feeling a bit overwhelmed or down, remember that you've got this gift of life and... You shouldn't really be moaning about it. You should actually be, be making the most of it. And I and I am a half cup full person. And I am I do wake up most mornings optimistic. I think the last year has been very hard. I've lost my mother, um, but on the whole, I wake up every morning bursting with can't wait to get to it. Um, so those experiences have shaped me. And then breast cancer. I was just about to turn fifty, and 50's a new forty. And I was um, successful and hot and about to have the best sort of decade and bang, you know, something's going to come along that affects my sexuality, that affects my physical appearance, that that is threatening that I could die. So, yeah, that all, all goes towards, I think, shaping you as, as what you become. Yeah, I mean, um,
0: as your breast cancer diagnosis, facing your own mortality like that, it's just a very humbling moment, I think. Yes. I'm just wondering what do you think that specifically taught you about yourself?
2: Um, that, uh, I mean, um, all I can visualise while you're asking me that is lying on, on my knees on the carpet in the hallway when no-one was home screaming at the top of my voice because what happens with, bre- with when you get a life-threatening disease is the fear is more frightening than the disease. So the fear of what's going to happen at the time. I really wanted to see my son through school. I wanted to pay for, for his education through school. I wanted to get him through to his HSC. I wanted to see him through that. Um, I wanted to look. I was looking after my mum. So it, and then the fear of what decisions to make: surgery, not surgery; chemo, not chemo; radio, not radio. Do you let them take your breasts, or do you gamble? Do you take a risk? I'm very. I've already said I love beautiful things and I think I have a beautiful body and and I'm blessed that whereas lots of people, I mean, there's, there's lots of things about my body that aren't right, but geez, why waste time moaning about it? You know, I've got this whole body that I've gifted with and breast cancer threatened to attack that and change it. And I'm a swimmer and the balance that that would have, um, the way your clothes sit and, I'm a, and I love clothes, um... And so my silhouette was about to be affected as well as my life could be over. Um, So what did it do? It made me focus on, I guess, the outcomes of treatment. And I think I already had a good view of what was important to me in life because I'd already lost Lisa and and Owen.
1: So that experience of loss, that that impacts you both you know personally all those experiences of loss but then you've also got to run a business at the end of the day too how what challenges kind of came up for you in um you know in kind of got keeping that afloat while you were really prior where you needed to prioritize your own health and health of those around you
2: gosh adam yes you're bringing back all sorts of memories so one of the biggest I'm sorry no no it's it's good i mean you know I've, i suppose i've i've You try and sort of put it at the back of your head so that you can cope with each day. At that time, 2014, my first diagnosis, my team stepped up, but I didn't miss a beat. I had radiotherapy every morning before work. Um, I swam in the sea to try and ease the burns. Um, I had lumpectomies instead of surgery, and my team wouldn't have even seen me miss a beat um, I might have been a bit late in on some, some mornings. The second diagnosis, I had decided to move from our of, an office in Artarman to the city, to George Street. And I was going in that day to sign on a two-year lease, four year, four-year lease in a very glamorous office on George Street. And I was signing a, a quarter of a million dollar lease with no break clause on it. And then I got a second diagnosis that things were even more serious and therefore I was now in a life-threatening situation. So I may have six months to live, but I was just about to sign on a half a million dollar lease that would, if I died, would leave my children with a half a million dollar debt. And I remember my lawyer saying, well, ask the landlord if you can have a break clause. And he came back with a response, I'm not a beep charity, I'm a business, there's no break clause. So I had to actually sign... I had to actually sign the lease knowing that I may not be around to see it through. Now, that's a business. That's a direct business impact from a life situation. So I then had to go, right, well, I better live because I've got to pay the the lease. (laughs) And then fronting up every day when you're shaking and frightened because death is looking you you in the face and having to cope with each day is a distraction and a great thing. And is also, um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough.
1: Thank you for your candor, through your candor, while talking about some of these experiences. Maybe
2: it will help someone else that's going through it because there are very big days of darkness with a breast cancer diagnosis and the fear is horrendous. And navigating the multiple medical advice is, I mean, I met with 23. Surgeons. I went on holiday and met with people to advise me, and I ended up doing everything against they said to do. So I took high-risk gambles. Um, and someone out there now dealing with this, they'll be in a lot of darkness. They'll be, they'll be in not a good place. So if I can help by suggesting that you will get through it um, and go with it and hold responsibility for your own body and your own decisions, then... Hopefully that will pull someone out of a dark moment because it is dark. It's really dark. But there's a light. There is a light.
1: It's always a light.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you. We'll be back with Sharon Williams after a very short break. We're back with Sharon Williams. Thanks again, Sharon, for joining us. Now, a little bit of a lighter
2: topic here. Your daughter, she used to work with you in the business, yes? Yes, Charlotte. They've, they've actually all worked in the business for, for a period. And yes, Charlotte was with me for three years. Yeah. How is that, working with family? Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm so proud of her. I could burst. It was absolutely wonderful. Like the best of the best. I'm sure for her, it was a bit frustrating because she wanted to change everything in a day. And when you're running a business for that long, there's things that you need to modernize and bring up to speed. And of course, you've got this lovely young thing that wants to change the world in a day. So I, I know she used to get frustrated that we weren't going fast enough for her. But she's, she was responsible for putting in whole new systems and CRMs and ways of doing things that were just extraordinary. No, she's terrific. And she could do anything and everything. She, she was able to be an octopus and pick up anything in the business and run with it. And I was hugely proud of her to, for doing that. And we were only having dinner the other night and saying that it's, it's it gave her a lot of grounding for what she's doing now. And she also went to acting school, so she is actually an actress. So is she in
1: marketing now or is she act, acting is a 100% her game? She's
2: gone into sales ah. where she says, Mummy, I use my acting every day. <laughs> <laughs> and then I use my experience with you um, in understanding what business leaders need to sell. She's selling a mental health app, so she says that she understands what business leaders need because she was with me and has seen me... Um, or they've all watched me since they were growing up, so. Do you think she went for something in
0: mental health because she's seen how important it is to have good mental health from the process your whole family's gone through with the diagnosis?
2: Um, yes, p- possibly, and and maybe more so during COVID and seeing what people went through during the pandemic because she immediately left me to go to an IT, in sales in IT, and then moved to get a job with... The, uh, with um, on mind and she loves it. She absolutely loves it um, and has purpose. Mm. She actually wants to be a paramedic for a while. So I think this is fulfilling a bit of her, her <laughs> medical um, feeling as well.
1: So you touched on COVID and we've talked a bit about mental health, um, you know, on this podcast, but the marketing sector was hugely affected by, by COVID. Uh, how do you think your Taurus, what, what was that thing that that, that you were well, guiding principle that got Taurus through that?
2: Yeah, I I like to think Adam that I that um, when I think of the business, I'm I'm running the business, and therefore the business is important, and marketing is is what we do. Um, comms was very important through COVID, so marketing and comms w- was was something people needed. So we had a bit of a hiccup and a bat downturn at the beginning when people were thinking the world was going to end, as we all did. We all thought the world may end. Um, And there was a little downturn and then it started to climb back up again and we've hired, um, well, triple people this year. Um, So really the the pandemic, when it hit, my priorities were were to keep the staff employed, my job, was to keep everybody in, in, in employed. Um, I went on no salary um, and and made sure that we kept... with Nobody was made redundant and we didn't lose anybody. And that was my pride, my absolute pride, was we, we're going to be in this together, we're in a war, and we're going to see this through. So it was very much holding those people afloat, whatever they were doing, homeschooling suddenly with young mm. children. Um, we had social Zooms every Wednesday... We were had a we had one o'clock clubs for for clients um, it was what what do you need to get through this it's setting them up at home so they could work comfortably being on the the phone came back as being a medium
0: mm.
2: a phone is so under over, underrated to actually phone someone and say hey how are you yeah let's walk for a bit on the phone and
1: talk well like you touched on with you said you're doing one o'clock clubs with clients can you tell us a bit about that because keeping clients during that time was a really hard thing. You can't do, you can't take them out for lunch. You couldn't have done done any of that sort of stuff that you'd normally do in the marketing industry.
2: Yes. So that was 1 o'clock to one thirty. Teams. A shout-out to our customers, um, mainly CEOs and, and marketing directors, if you want to come online for half an hour, 1 to one we we're going to shoot the breeze on what's important this week. And I think we forget what that was like at the beginning. The pandemic, we were in war. We were at war, and we actually were fighting to keep people alive and safe. Um, I mean, literally, we were we were trying to keep them, make sure they they stayed alive. Um, and so, what happened is we had people join us for half an hour, and we would. Chatham House Rules discussed the issue of the, the week in that half an hour. And we we solved problems and we shared, and we've all got the same problems. Every business always has the same problems. It's just big problems or little problems, little business or big business. or um, And so we solved the problems. And then when the pandemic started to slow down and we were all getting back to work, we missed that half an hour. So I turned it into a physical lunch where we have... In our beautiful boardroom at Barangaroo, we have the, that network come for lunch, um, a bit longer than 1 to 1.30 now, and we shoot the breeze on, on, on those topics. Deals are done and um, we, we progress the people. This is why, why I think marketing is such a, a silly word. We sit in that lunch and people do deals over lunch and people help each other accelerate their businesses over lunch. Success maker. Success maker.
1: Chief success maker, that's right.
2: Bullseye, bullseye maker.
0: If I had to describe you, which I kind of mentioned to you earlier, um, I would say that you're strong, independent, astute, kind and very generous. And I'd say that's pretty good personal branding. (laughs) So as someone um, who's a pioneer in the personal branding space and has been doing personal branding for years long before it became, you know, the buzz thing that it is today. What do you think that people need to understand about personal branding when they're trying to build their own brand?
2: Yeah. Firstly, I feel like I ought to cry after you saying all those lovely things. So <laughs> thank you, Seth. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, I walk the talk, I believe in personal branding. Um, and having just talked to you about my story, because there's no time to waste, we just need to get on with it because you don't know when life is going to end or our capabilities are going to be taken away from us. So personal branding is all about getting growth maker, growth, you know, success making, fast, furious and, and, and don't waste time with it. And people buy people and therefore we need to be able to show people what we stand for and who we are because pretty much whether you're, A big telco, when you're on the phone to someone, you're going to buy whether that person is kind and good on the phone. And whether we go to a greengrocer's or whether we're in business-to-business or business-to-consumer, at the end of the day, when we walk into a shop, it's how you're treated that reflects on that brand. So I think it's all about individuals And I want to make sure that it's easy for people to know what I stand for to be able to work out whether they want to buy from me. And by the way, I'd like to know who they are because I might not want them to be a customer of mine because they don't have the same core values. So it just makes life faster, quicker to have a, to know what your personal brand is and live it and walk the talk to get the success you want to, whether that be finding the right partner, whether that be finding the right job or finding the right customer.
1: How important is purpose to your business? Is there a Sharon Williams Taurus credo? Because you've had, talked just then about values and the things that you look for, you know, it's, it's like dating, you know, like who do I want to know? What, what qualities am I looking for in a, in a partner? What am I looking for in, in business partners and people who want to work with, with me?
2: That's right. Marketing is very much like dating. Um, and, um, I, I, I believe that. And, uh, you know, and then sales when you close the deal. Um, and, <laughs> um, close you consummate the deal. Yeah, absolutely. consummate the
1: success. Yes, <laughs> business
2: is an extension of our lives. It's it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's no different. Um, and um, not everybody out there is a tourist customer. Not everyone out there is a Sharon Williams friend. Um, not everyone out there is someone I would like to have work with me. Um, and therefore, I think it's it's it cuts to the chase quicker if you can say who you are and what you stand for to attract the right people out there and not the people that aren't attracted to you. Because life is really tough when you're not in the right corporate cultural fit. It really makes business and personal lives difficult when you're not core value aligned. So I get up every morning to build people, brands, businesses, and hopefully dreams. So I build people, brands, businesses. If you're working with me and I can't build your you as a person, I can't build your brand, and I can't build your business and your dream, then you're not for me and you're not for my company. And the, what we've got to do is is separate those people out quickly so we don't waste time in the wrong association.
1: Are there any marketing campaigns that really that stand out to you while we're talking, when we're talking about values and that you're very proud of?
2: Um, This is an interesting one. Jesus all about life. Um, I had um, the Bible Society come to me a few years back and I said a prayer on the Sunday night that I could do with a bit more revenue before year (laughs) end and um, one of those, you know, on your knees moments. And the next day the phone rang and it was Daniel Willis from the Bible Society and he said, look, you're the girl, we're going, we want to hire you. you we, we need to do a, a launch of um, a new campaign, Jesus All About Life. And if you think about it, the Bible is a book. It distributes through, I'm a B2B girl. The book is the book is the product. It distributes through distributors, churches to end users, Christians or non-Christians, and it's a book. And it's a book from a thought leader, Jesus. So <laughs> the job was to... to to get people just talking about Jesus and understanding who he was. And I get that. We do that for our tech leaders and and other leaders. And so I said to them, look, I'm really not a religious marketer. I don't really want to do this, and I don't think you've come to the right place. But he said, no, no, you're the one. So he came in on the Friday and we workshopped our bullseye strategy and we agreed that if we weren't the right fit, he could go home at lunchtime and we'd had... I, I knew he would go away with some value, but if we were the right fit... He'd hire us and we'd move on. And he did. And 12 weeks later, we had 25,000 on Facebook from a zero start. We had 500 pieces of coverage. We had the pink sandstorm hit the day we launched. I must have (laughs) said a prayer on that one. Um, And it was such a successful campaign that it's now taught in universities. And I think that was a core value. I, I didn't have one Christian on my staffing. They were all atheists and... And Buddhists, and yet we took this on as a core value alignment that we were talking about someone that could be respected as a thought leader. It wasn't whether you were religious or Christian or whoever. it was someone that was a um, a thought leader who should be listened to in any other way than Buddha or Mother Teresa or and And I now say that if I can do a two thousand year old intangible who I can't front up for media interviews, and I can win a golden target and get it, that story taught in universities and I can do anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when you're talking about core values, what do you look for with your staff?
2: Yeah, so we, um, transparency, very much the tourist values, transparency, loyalty, tenacity, the ability to call a spade a spade. That's uh, Not many people can do that. Not many people can actually say what they're thinking in a graceful way. Um People who believe in the cause. We are building people, brands and businesses. So we're not just building a brand, we're building the people within the company we work for to be successful, which I'm I'm hugely proud of. Like like every day I'm so proud of all those people that we've built who've been through the Taurus experience and are now in top places.
1: In- Troy Douglas, who was on our oh, podcast Troy. from Nexpa, yeah. the founder of Nexpa, he had glowing things to say about you. Thank you. you. Well, and, that's uh, the vision. You're a mentor. Oh, for him. that's yeah. so
2: lovely. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're taking people and taking them on their dreams and building dreams. Um, and so, if someone's not sure, well, it's not even if someone's not sure. It's if they don't, if they can't listen and they can't take advice, it's not going to work. They, they don't have to do everything I say. But I've tried and tested a thousand interns, a thousand brands, people that we've we've mentored are, are high up in the um, the Secret Service. Um, oh, you know that are Yeah, I? <laughs> yeah, like so exciting, like the top of their game. You know, it's not so. It's not about marketing. It's about building those journeys and making those people and brands and businesses more successful and it is about choosing them carefully because you're gonna go into a marriage and marriage is fraught with risks and ups and downs.
1: And you want the children that come out of the, the marriage to not be yeah. damaged and traumatized yeah. and you want them to go off and be successful That's themselves. That's right.
2: And we have the most extraordinary relationships with our customers. So it's always about the people. It's always about the build it's always about building the dreams and the businesses. And, yes, at the centre of our bullseye methodology is money because you can't build anything, a charity or anything or do anything without money. So everything we do is about building dollars for that entity, whether it's Clean Up Australia as a charity um, or Violet.org, which is a bereavement counselling service, um, or, or an ASX-listed company. It's got to be about the dollars, mm. um,
0: So you talk about um, building people and businesses and brands. So what would your advice be to small business owners that are trying to build their
2: brand? Uh, Make sure that your LinkedIn profile is really up to date. That's the best thing you can do. Like if that's the one thing that everyone takes away from this um, podcast, please get your your LinkedIn profile as good as it can possibly be and spend some time um, actually working LinkedIn and making contacts, because it's the people that will open doors to your success. It will be the people who lift you. It's very hard trying to build a business one sale at a time. So find people who will give you a thousand sales and lift you into partnerships that will elevate you. Um, And so personal brand and your website and your social media. They're your little staples, your little toolkit mm-hmm. of being able to build your brand, and your LinkedIn profile should look like your website should look like how you're dressed, how you speak, um, and how you present yourself, mm-hmm. so that you can accelerate on that that journey on that on that Formula One racetrack, which is what you're on. If you're going to go and be, become a business, then we want you going as fast as you can with as little tr- little um, you know traction slowing you down. Mm-hmm. Just speed get there fast Mm. you want
0: it all to align don't you because if it doesn't align then when people
2: see the message they're like
0: hmm
2: it's not quite right (laughs) yes so to your question about marketing you know brand being on brand is really important and
1: people need to see it A number in a number of different ways, and number, you know, we've got this whole, all this talk. Omni channel is another word that I want banned because I just (laughs) keep on seeing it everywhere. Everyone loves to say, oh, your omni channel marketing strategy, which is really just a simple way of just saying, well, you should be marketing everywhere anyway, you know. Well, depending on, I guess it depends on what your kind of business is, but people are going to see your brand, whether they're seeing it on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, your website. You know, maybe you're appearing on a TV show, maybe you're appearing on an online show. There's so many different touch points. Maybe you're on the side of a bus, you know, <laughs> like there are so many different touch points for a brand and yet, you know, you're going to, you need it to all be very consistent.
2: Yes, I love that. I mean, our, our, our listeners have just got all the things they can do from you with their <laughs> marketing tactics. It was all you, it was all you, <laughs> And, it, show. and it's, it's about being authentic, isn't it? It's about if you're authentic on every channel, then you're going to work you're going to get your brand out there faster and what you want to do is be put in front of the right people and not waste time being put in front of the people that won't be your customers or won't be buying or won't be coming to work for you that's about it's about being fit for purpose captain of your personal brand and and doing business on purpose with purpose and not letting it just happen by accident
0: mm. Now, just to wrap up, um, twenty six years—it's a long, long time to be at the helm of a business. What do you think has been the key to Taurus's longevity, and what advice would you have for other businesses about playing the long game?
2: Yeah, um, I think I think lots of our our friends out there will resonate that we've got to pay bills, so there's no 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 chance to to give up. Um, that one. I've wanted the best life for my children, which has always motivated me and my team. Um, So building the life I want has kept me going. Building people and brands has kept me going. Um, And you know what? If you love what you do, it's not work. I love what I do. I kind of am so proud of my company and so proud of my people and my team that, that million-dollar question, you know, what would you do if you won a billion dollars? Well, I, I'm sure I'd still come into work because I love it. And I absolutely am so proud to be part of this entity that has been created, that, by the way, operates without me because um, the team are amazing. So, yeah, you've got to love it. I think if you do something you love, it happens all by itself. With a lot of hard work, of
1: hard work. <laughs> 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 and great holidays in the midst of it all, to reward. Yeah, that's, that's quarterly
2: too. holidays. I <laughs> have my quarterly yeah. holidays with my babies, and you know what? I also do staycations uh, because I'm still a tourist. I still go and stay in hotels, maybe just one night, wait for the specials, and then just I cannot get over. I live in this town and this country. I am just such a fan of where we are. <laughs> And so to be able to go and have a have a night off and experience a different place, that gives you a little micro break, which has been very important yeah. through the pandemic.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely important. You think about mental health, we talk about You know, just doing those things to make yourself feel a bit, you know, just give yourself a bit of spring in your step.
2: That's right. Change is good. Change is good. Change is good.
1: That is a fantastic note to end on. Um, all glass half full once again. Uh, Sharon Williams, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Head to SharonWilliams.com or TaurusMarketing.com.au for more info about today's fabulous success maker. Uh, Don't forget to give this podcast a five-star review if you've enjoyed this chat. And thanks for listening. Join us next week for another fantastic first act conversation. Bye-bye.